This is the Ben Ryan Podcast. I'm delighted to say that today's show features my former Fiji Sevens captain and my great friend, Osea, or as he's known across the rugby world, Oscar Kalinisau. Flag bearer for Fiji at the Rio Olympics, where Fiji won their country's first ever Olympic gold medal, he's one of the most successful Sevens players in the history of the game. Our relationship was more than just coaching captain. He helped navigate me in my early days in the Pacific, and we relied on each other on and off the training field. We really dig into that relationship between coach and player, and trust and belonging are wrapped up in all of that. Towards the end of our conversation, you'll hear Sonny, Oscar's young son in the background, which reinforced what we had spoken about earlier in the podcast, about the importance of family. And we begin in a similar vein with Osea telling me how a crucial moment happened early in his career that really defined everything that followed. I forgot that my mom usually opened the mails and they would send the results. So I came home one day and I saw that, oh, you got mail. And I saw, you know, from the university and I saw it's already open. I was like, oh, and she just told me, like, man, you're wasting money. You just didn't see two classes. And uh, I was lucky enough that uh, my dad persuaded my mom because my mom was like, you should give up rugby and just focus on school. And she was like, you have a good head on you and you can, you know, uh, make something out of yourself going to school. And, you know, I talked with my dad and I told my dad, like, can you guys let me pursue this? Because I feel deep down inside that I want to do this. And my dad was like, okay, you sure? I said, yes, because if not, we're going to waste money again. I'm going to keep on going to training. And, you know, if it clashes, I'm going to choose rugby. And he said, okay, I give you one year. I said, I just want to find out if I can make it or not. If I can make it, then I'll devote all myself to studies. And, you know, I know I tried. So, yeah, the very next morning, I, I was still asleep. And my dad kicked me like 5 a.m. in the morning. Hey, you want to be a rugby player? You have to run. I'm thankful to him for that. First day... I went to the super training and I saw Serevi, uh, Marika Vunimbaka, you know, all these big names. You know, I was still in school, these guys were playing for Fiji. And I saw them and I was like, uh, Dad, let's just go back home. He's like, why? I was like, look at the names there. And he just said, just go and train. Don't worry. Just give your best. Go. So I, I came, I trained and, you know, I gave my all in training. And I, I found uh, first season I was studying as a wing. And um, yeah, that was the starting of my, my rugby journey. Fast forward 15 years, and I think I'm right. Um, he had a dream right before the Olympics. Tell us about that. My ritual was always, before every big game, I'll call home. I like him to pray over me. And, and it became part of my, my game ritual. And he told me, oh, uh, I had a dream. I seen you guys are laughing in the final. So I said, okay, I'm going to tell two percent. Because I know the boys, if I tell them that, look, my dad was winning in the Olympic, their mindset, they'll get distracted if I say them, tell them this. Like, so I said, okay, I won't tell them anything. I'll just tell Sasa and Nakarawa just for proof. And so I kept it with me and Sasa and Nakarawa until it happened in the final. And uh, Sasa's like, brother, you were right. I was so thankful. So we kind of know that there's an end bit that's pretty cool that we can talk about in Rio. And we know your start point as far as that year where your dad basically said, you know, you give it everything for a year and if you make it, great. And if you don't, I guess I'm assuming then it would have been no rugby for you and you would have got your head down and, and worked academically. But in between all of that, it hasn't really been all plain sailing for you, right? You've been yo-yoed in and out of the team many times. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Because there must have been times from your debut in 2008 and when I came onto the island in 2013, you were out of favour again. 
How many times has that happened? And what was it like to be a member of the best, the most talented rugby team in on the planet? But it must also have been quite frustrating that, that you know, you, you never had that consistency. My dream was always playing a World Cup for Fiji Sevens. You know, because I, I remember I was in primary school and I was watching the 97 World Cup and I watched Manasambari and all this game, you know, Serebi. And after the final, they played the rugby union song. You know, it's the world in union. And I, I remember walking back from school and that song be playing. I was like, I'm down, running down the line and I'm walking back from high school. So my dream was to always try and go to a World Cup. And my first World Cup in 2009, I made the team, but I got injured. And they're like, Oscar, come to camp. I just told William, man, what's the use? It's going to break my heart when I see these guys. See, in the team, like, I know looking at my injury right now, I can't make it. It won't heal within two weeks. So I just called him. I said, I'm pulling myself out, William. Yeah, so then 2009, and then it came down to the World Cup in Russia. And I was like, man, that year I played in Hong Kong. I scored in the final. It's playing so well. And I remember the coach, he told me that on the last leg, he said, Oscar, we're going to rest you because I had a niggly injury with my knee from uh, the long road runs. And he told me my face, he said, Oscar, you you won't go. We will rest you for the last leg, but we'll take you to the World Cup. I said, okay, fair enough. So I didn't go on the, on the last leg. And then we were in camp for the World Cup and they announced the team. And I topped all our yo-yo, our fitness test. Then very at the last minute, he decides that I'm going to be a non-traveling reserve and he's going to take one of the guys that was injured right into the World Cup in my place. It wasn't even running. And, you know, that just shattered me when he announced that. I, and I remember some of the boys that were in the army in my area, they say after they announced the team, we had one more training session. And they said, man, we just look at Oscar. And the running is always, always leading. But today, to look at Oscar, is just in the middle or way behind. I was just done after noise. Like, you know, I, I topped IOU. I gave everything. And I, I'm still, it's like, what more did I need to do? I'm still out. I'm a non-traveling reserve. I came home and uh, I said with my dad and I cried. I cried to my dad and I was like, Phew. you know, I questioned, I questioned my faith. I said, dad, you said, you know, you said work hard. Yeah. You said you want to get rewarded if you work hard. I said, I work hard. I kept the faith. I topped the yo-yo and still I get pushed up. And I remember my, my dad was there. He was in New Zealand. I was on the phone and he just broke me and uh, I was going to give up rugby back then too. Maybe I should go play rugby league. Lucky enough, my dad, like you said, he encouraged me, you know. He said, and you know, son, all things work together for good, you know, to those who love God. And he said, you know, if God put that in your heart, he said, keep working hard, keep your faith. You know, very next day, he said, go work out, go to the gym. Well, the yo-yo, which we talked about, which is that, you know, the fitness test that we do, you know, you would always be near the top or if not the top in, in the time I had with you and lead by example which a captain has to do and we you talked also about William so William is he's a bit of a legend right William the best vision in Fiji is William Kong were you on the plane once where they had the two two people that had suspected heart attacks yeah do you want to tell that story because I think we were going to Australia right yeah I think it was uh, right around uh, one seat in front of us so this uh Really, this old woman started feeling really sick. And we were in the middle of the air hostess serving food. And, you know, they kind of got distracted on trying to help the lady. And like William was just, he was looking around. It's like, is there a doctor? It's like, oh, we have a, we have a physio here. And William, like William was there, and William knew what to do. So William's like, 
uh, Oscar, you stand up, you hold on to the IV. And uh, the flight attendant, she was a bit shook on what was happening. And the boys took out the trolleys and they started serving the, they did the flight attendant's job and just serving out foods to the people in the flight. It's just natural, really, for a Fijian. Yeah, I was like, yeah, it, was, it was a good experience. We were so thankful after that. We got to say, like, thank you very much for helping me. I was, I was so shook after that happened. And you guys just jump in without even me asking. And I've, I've seen it in other examples where maybe we've got off a plane and we're waiting for the bags on the carousel and the boys will be taking bags off for other people that we don't know, you know, to help them. The generosity and, and wanting to help somebody is right at the front of Fijian culture, you know, What's it like to be a Fijian? You know, what, what actually, where do you think that comes from, Oscar? I think that comes from, uh, from your upbringing, really. Culture, family, and you're taught to, to look after people in your family. You're taught to, to share everything and to always help out. Because uh, you know that we don't have much. And when you don't have uh, much, you help each other out with sharing. It becomes part of you because you do it every day. They say sometimes that... Uh, Sometimes you'll have trouble too. You won't, only, you won't be sunshine always in your life. So it's always good. Always help each other out. Do you think it translates, it comes across into the way that you play on the field for each other as well? And I'm think, thankful that, you know, uh, we got to, to meet you as a coach and, you know, you, you saw that, that it was part of it and you brought it out of us even more. And, you know, and that made us like, like belong to something, you know, belong in a family. Like our team was a family. Each of the boys would die for each other. You know, hard work the boys put in and, you know, we laugh, uh, we cry together. And, you know, when we play, I just told the boys, like, man, it's us. Uh, we all Fijians here and our little country, we play for each other. Did you ever, because um, you, like, you travelled all around the world and now you're in the US and you played in Major League Rugby over there, but you've played in, you know, a, a lot of very famous stadiums and you would have seen some of the facilities that these other teams had and the money they had and the extra resource and the kit. Did you ever feel that you were that you were an underdog? Did you ever feel that you were at a disadvantage as a, as a Fijian team or did that not worry you? That didn't worry us. I would give all this up to go back to our days back in uprising. Why don't you just paint a picture of what that was like? The same feeling you have at home, you had at camp. You know, the culture we created and mainly driven culture you drove and it was already in us and you brought it out. And when I talk about chance of belonging, you know, when you told Ice, his Olympic dream is done and he's like, Ice has to tell the boys. And I remember that when Ice came and said, boys, my Olympic dream has ended. It's like, we cried, you know, we cried like first when we cried because he got dropped. Like that sense of belonging, like, you know, it feels like it's, we're all fighting for a spot. Like, we all want his spot. You want a spot in the team. But when he got dropped, it all hurt us again, you know? There was no like, oh, yes, I have a chance now. The sense of belonging I'm talking about, like, you know, we were a family. And I remember, you know, I, I called and I was like, man, I, I would take Ice with me. Like, I would take him as a second hand, my second hand man and, you know, like skills and everything. I remember he was like, Oscar, you trust me? And I look at you and I was like, okay, I trust you. You feel like if somebody hurt somebody, like it hurts you. Trust is a, is another thing, I guess, that's super important to have, not not just between a coach and a captain, but all those different layers, you know, all the players to have that that trust. And I guess like we built, if we go back to, to how we built our trust, I mean, what was your first impression like? What was the first time you knew that I was coming to Fiji? And do you remember the first time we met? We met at the stadium. Uh, there was the Fiji Water Sevens. 
Yeah. I was playing with Sam Kunatani and Kyotuai and Filippo Nakosi. And we were not in the national team and somebody got injured, I think. I remember we were trying to get a walking back at the back of the stadium and the guy you came, it's like, oh, Oscar, nice to meet you. And he's like, how do you want to go to Gold Coast with the team? I said, I'd be so happy to. That's when I officially first met in Fiji. The team already in camp. I just came straight in, straight in to fight with the boys on a Monday. So you're flying on a Monday. Sunday, you, uh, you told the men everything. And I left with the boys to Nandi and we flew to Australia. We got to Australia as soon as we land. After checking, the manager was Issei, and he just came and he said, uh, Oscar's going to be captain, and you went up to your room, and the manager said, and he said, uh, there's going to be a change. Manu Langai was named as captain, and, and he said, and I told him, like, oh, maybe Manu should remain captain, because I know that, you know, he was announcing the papers in Fiji. And I said, you know, I'd just be happy to have Manu, just, just let him be captain. And he's like, no, this is from the head coach. Oscar is captain now. That began, I guess, the, the journey in that first tournament, I hadn't really had much time with you guys and I remember that, you know, we, we were pretty unfit. I remember the one of the, I think Samasoni Viri who played in the Olympic final and was World Player of the Year, I think that year, he got ran around in that game by one of the props for England, Mike Ellery, in, in that game. And, and I could see that we needed to, to change the intensity of what we were doing in training to get that fitness levels up and then also start to do things around diets which was, 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 was quite difficult at times for some of the boys to make sure that they were eating, cor- eating correctly. But we, uh, we went from that Gold Coast, and I remember st- staying at the bottom of the lift that night, making sure that nobody came up and nobody came down from the lift so that all the boys would, one thing would happen is that they would all stay in and not go out and drink and everything else. And that was my kind of, I felt that was my first win when I was there, you know, that we had set a slightly different standard. Even if the team manager was spending most of the week eating KFC and drinking kava, it was, uh, <laughs> he had a good week, that was for sure. Do you mind if I ask you something? Yeah, sure. What made you give me, you know, I'm not in camp and I come straight and this guy just hands me the captain's things. It's always a question I always have with him. Uh, yeah, I, rem- I remember, well, firstly, I had seen you played against England and play on the series, so I had seen the quality and also your commitment on the field. Do you remember, well, you obviously would remember when you had a really badly broken jaw in Adelaide. Yeah. That was that was when your hair was really <laughs> going crazy. But yeah, you, you, um, you'd broke your jaw there. I remember that. And that stood out for me. I don't know why, just the fact that you just were, you were tough and uncompromising and you, you know, you played the game the right way and you looked like a natural leader. And, and sometimes as coaches you can't explain a feeling you have about a player and why you think they'll make a good leader and so yeah when I knew that I was coming over and I had a long list and you weren't in it and I said right let's make sure I mean, where is he? is he fit is he available and 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 then the old coach said that you know and the boards had said that you were a troublemaker you know and I haven't seen any of that in the time I was I was England coach and you know my view is always start someone at the top of the class give them an A plus and there's probably something else that, you know, I'd left England, although my last tournament was the World Cup final, I left like I had unfinished business in Rugby Sevens. And I know that you probably felt that too, right? That, that there was stuff that you still needed to achieve, particularly after that same tournament that I was coaching England to the final, you weren't there and you'd been dropped unfairly. So there's, there's some fate around, I think, our paths crossing at that particular time, I think, Oscar. 
And our journey began really from there. And do you remember much about those first few months and, and what the changes were? On the fitness side, yeah, it picked up and uh, I knew always, you know, what training I like to do, my training is 45 to an hour and that's it. Boom, 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 hits after hits and, you know, and you always I keep working, pushing the boys. And, and you know, you said, uh, I know you boys and I've seen uh, another Fijian boy comes out when you guys are on the alcohol. And, you know, you, you said that uh, I don't want that in our team and, you know, just made the boys understand the things you want, you know. And I always remember saying, okay, it means business. Looking forward to training every day, Ben, because, you know, you learn new things. And, uh, you know, you would say something, uh, boys, you understand, and everybody would be nodding. Yeah, but then as soon as you turn your back, hey, Oscar, what are you saying? <laughs> uh, you understand that very well that the boys were, were very reserved and, they were shy and asking questions and you made them feel comfortable. And, you know, there, there was, that was a major change I saw in the boys. Like, you know, with you, they felt like they can just, you know, shout out things like, you know, Ben, we're not comfortable. Well, Ben, why well, yeah, can we even the, the shyest person, you know, after three years together, they would just walk up and say, like, hey, Ben, I'm not getting this from the, you know, before they, they'll just go with the flow, you know, uh, being brought up in a Fijian family, you know, you just start to like, you know, go with it. With you, we found out that, you know, we can ask questions can stand up for ourselves like uh, boys knew very well that you know you were on our side and they they knew you were always going to stand up after you fought you know for for our allowances you know and they saw you you know put your job on the line and you know that just changed the way the boys uh respect you and you know that's and they know like oh he's on our side looking back at it now do you understand like how valuable you were to the team in those early days as we were trying to make those changes I see that, you know, most of them said, Oscar, uh, I have a question about the boys and about this culture. How do I go about this, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Oscar, how do I learn Fijian quickly? <laughs> oh, yeah, just, you know, just speak and the boys would have, you know, it would be make, make the days, uh, the boys' days when you started speaking Fijian. And, uh, you know, when you're trying in training and they would just laugh and but enjoy it, you know? And just to see you giving me, you know, responsibility and you had all the knowledge in the world, but I'm lucky enough that you trust me to help you get your legs in Fiji and, you know, trust me enough to, to help you. That's a good way of putting it. Um, help me get my legs because I definitely, I, I, I just wouldn't, I just wouldn't have being able to, I think I've, I've done everything at the time when, you know, for for the listeners, you know, we Fiji and Rubbi Union was going through a tough phase. They'd gone bankrupt, no sponsors. The boys, you weren't getting paid. I wasn't getting paid. And then when we were getting paid, you weren't always getting it on time or the right amounts. And and I think all of those things at the same time, and a lot of the boys had gone overseas, it meant that if I hadn't had the help from the inside, there's just no way I would have drowned. So I'm, I'm eternally grateful, Oscar, to everything you did in those early days. And that was a common thread, I guess, you know, at the start, like we, we, we lost a few boys at the start that didn't quite stick to the, didn't quite meet those standards and others that came back in, you know, and were given those second chances. Um, P.O. Tuai probably is somebody that, that um, I've talked about a lot, a very famous player in Fiji, probably one of the most talented, right, that you've probably ever played with. Um, doesn't look like he should be able to do the things that he does on a rugby field. He's big boy, 6'5", 120 kilograms, but... Um, he was someone that you were very close with in the team and didn't make that final. In fact, he was the last player to get cut before the Olympics. Um, that must have been difficult for you. Yeah, it was tough. Uh, 
been good friends uh, with Pio. He's like a, a brother to me. And I was, I was always telling him, I was like, come on, you know, Pio. And I remember you just tell him, like, Oscar, you got to talk to Pio. And, you know, you, you said, like, you tell him, like, you know, Olympic will, will change his life. You got to work hard. And, you know, it's like every day I'm, I'm on Pio's case. I was like, you know, we talk about, like, Pio, we make the Olympic. I was like, we'll be instant Hall of Famous. We'll be set. We, you know, we make the Olympic team and we we going to win gold that we set for life. And, you know, we talked about it. And he said, yeah. And I just feel like, you know, that he started getting distracted. And at one point I was like, Pio, leave your girlfriend, man. It's distracting to you. You know, for me to tell him, like, I was kind of related to his girlfriend back then. But I was telling him, like, you know, I was seeing it. And I was like, Pio, leave her. Leave her. Let's focus on this. And I was like, you know, imagine us playing in the Olympic. It hurt me when. When he got dropped, big, not only because he was a good friend, but to me, someone who makes rugby look beautiful, you know. I said, Pio, you know, you make rugby look beautiful. And one of the one of the best players like I've ever played with him. And I, I wanted him to go to the Olympics so bad. And I know I, I talk to him now and he regrets it, you know. Yeah, and I remember you telling uh, him, like, Pio, you would regret this. Like, you would regret this for the rest of your life. You, know? you would try to get him to focus. And he said, I should have listened. I only wish he had gone and knowing that you drive him to to his fitness level that he hasn't been to and the world to see, you know, the offloads and the world to see the real pure toy. And if you always said there's only one pure toy and there will never be another. Can you ex- maybe explain those last few days before we selected what we were doing on the field, why it was so memorable for you? Because it was just everybody had the same fitness level. And then everybody fighting for a spot. And it's just not anybody. It's just, you know, you have Nayada Levu. Uh, like you said, Joshua Tuisova. Then you have uh, Jared Hayne. You have Nakarawa. The level of ability and talent you had there. It is crazy. I don't know if they'll have another team that will have so much talent like that at one camp. You know, all looking at it back, like the boys that came from overseas, and they just work for that eight week because I remember you said like you know I don't count on uh, on your past achievements, and he said I only pick on form, and if you don't make the fitness, you're not going. You know, and I remember like I was in the same room with the Josh Tuisova, and at six a.m. like five thirty he would wake me up. Oscar, can we go for a run? Like you know the desire to want it is like, Josh, I don't need it. Because I know we are training at 10. And I was like, I don't need it. And he's like, I need it, please. <laughs> so he would wake up and we would run from there to the Pearl and back to Uprising. So that's just a ho- hotel, what, about 2K away, a K away. Yeah. So we would, we would run that just because, you know, he he knew that, you know, he had like a player like Yusufa doing that. I know if he walked to another team, he would automatically get selected. But, you know, he knew our culture and he knew the standards you set and what we want from every player. And a person with that caliber to just really drive himself to one that's like, that speaks volume of the things we were doing and the standard he knew that he had to achieve. I remember Jerry getting smashed by Noni, you know, on the corner where he tried to make it and he tried to do his step and Noni just read it and just like that, they just like smashed him. Like, I think that was one of the hardest hit Jerry has ever got. Boom. And, you know, contest was on. We stole the ball and play on. And like those kind of hits, you know, coaches would blow the whistle. Like one of the key players just got hammered like on a hitter, but you just let it play on. 
and then uh, you see the boys with ice get subbed off because they bump into each other just having ice on their head. And then after one or two minutes, sub back in, they want to have a go again. It was just, although it was intense, but I've always told people that, you know, it was so intense, but you never saw people grab at each other or try and fight. Like the intensity was something else. Mm. Full on contact, but got up and got on. Let's go. I guess that both teams, if they went to the Olympic, we could have met each other in the final. Well, one of the things that like you definitely went on was sugar in those last few weeks, because I had I had just you know I'd I'd explained it to you, but I wanted to take you guys off off sugar to get some more energy consistent energy levels a little bit because you'd sneak you'd sneak the sugar in, Oscar. You know that at the start it would be like a big mug of tea, and I think oh, that's okay, a cup of tea is fine. But when I started to see the boys putting the teaspoon after teaspoon of sugar in it, and the spoon standing up in the in the cup I was thinking okay this is this is not a great thing for a professional athlete so I took it I took the sugar out but in those first few hours in those first few days in you in particular you didn't find that easy did you I called you and I was like I need some sweet things and I said okay Oscar just this once this is the last time I said okay I remember you calling me because at the petrol station that was over the road from where we trained That was the closest place to buy stuff, right? So you could get your chocolate and your crisps there. So I spoke to some of the guys there and said, look, if you see any of the boys, you know, just let me know and I'll, I'll give you a rugby ball or some a shirt or something to say thank you. And then that first first night, it was the first night, I think, you rang, didn't you? And said, "Yeah, Ben, I need I need something sweet. I need some sugar. you got to let me go. Yeah, I went and I went and bought a packet of Oreo. Like, <laughs> I enjoyed it because I was like, okay, I won't get to enjoy one for a long time again few days was tough for the boys because, you know, sugar has been part of our diet, like just growing up and we were having a little sense of withdrawals. But once we got used to honey, it was better, a better option getting used to honey. And, you know, I think we started rolling with it and we boys started finding it, you know, like, oh, I'm starting to get more more energy now. And, you know, and you explain it to the boys more and the boys get that the reason why we're doing it. And, you know, like we just bought, bought in everything you said, you know, it would have been hard for the boys if we didn't have that trust. I've always tell people, you know, if Ben asked us to rob a bank and he planned it, we would have robbed the bank for him. <laughs> like the level of trust we had, we would have robbed the bank for, for Ben. He would be the mastermind behind it. We were just like, okay, we trust, like, okay, we trust the mastermind. Everything he says, and, you know, you now I'm thankful that, like, people ask me, I was like, you know, it's scary about Ben. I was like, why? I was like, this guy plans his ear out before it happens. And it goes according to what he plans. It's like I remember one time looking at your book, you're turning it and you're crossing off the uh, the things you'll be over. It's like, oh, okay, we've done this. And so I was like, oh, that moment I was like, man, this guy's scary. Like <laughs> the way he plans it, it works out the way he has already seen things happening. And that to me, that was kind of scary. But then, you know, looking back at it, I was like, you always say, you know, plan your work. And you work your plan. I look back at it now and I'm like, you know, it's scary to have a, a guy like you in a team. Man. It's a little bit easier when you've got the talent that we had in that team and you still got to control the Oscar. So the, I think sometimes for people that don't understand necessarily rugby in Fiji, how crazy the people are, right, about the team and about rugby sevens in particular, it's like it's the national sport, really. And so we'd just won a, a back-to-back world titles, you know, f- for the first time ever. We'd gone to the Olympic, going to the Olympic Games as number one seeds. 
It was getting pretty crazy on the island at that point, and it was open training sessions, so people were also coming to the sessions mm-hmm. and and watching. How did you find that? The team is the people's team, and like you said, that you know, uh, you made it inclusive to the boys, and you understand, like you're saying, like, you you understood straight away how crazy people are about rugby in uh, in Fiji, and uh, you know, to me it was good you know to see that when you allowed the school buses the children to run you know after training and they just running like the smiles in their faces having to have fought with the boys and that even if them just touching the boys is so huge to them and uh, you know i think that that's something that you understood straight away for the people listening our pitch um you can see the road right you know the is it the queen's highway going down yeah. and it's uh, just one road that connects goes all the way around the island and so the buses can see as school's finishing, they can see that, the, that sometimes they see the Fijian team are playing on, on training on this pitch. So you'd hear them because once they could start to see and there'd be no windows in the sides. So you could start to scream and then they would slow down and some of them would ro- roll into the to buy the pitch. And so as a coach, I'm thinking, OK, like I've got to get this is a good intensity. We're training well, but you've got 100 kids in this bus that want to see their heroes and this is where you have to make those decisions on where the benefits are. And, and we always would stop um, and the kids would come out, they'd run out and uh, and meet you all. And then, then we'd have some photos and a bit of a chat and then they'd go off and they'd sc- screaming as, as they left. And that was just the way, right? And hear them after, after meeting us and to hear them, Jenny, go Fiji, go on their bus and they're on the way. It's like, you know, it gives you incentive to work much more hard. And I think, I think that's one point that, you know, you let them come in because you wanted the boys to understand what they were playing, what they were training for, and the joy it brings to these people. Once that team was selected, um, we'd always talk about captain's runs and how we're going to do it. And how. And sometimes this is the, the training session, the day or two days, the last session before you play, right? And sometimes they'd be terrible. And there's no like formula. If you have a terrible training session, it sometimes meant you played brilliantly the following day. And sometimes you had the best last training session in the world and then we just didn't fire in those in the first game but we had one of those in the olympics didn't we, in that last session and one thing was positive about that like because we started arguing uh, there was a move like i was telling semi something and semi was trying to tell me another thing like i said you should run it we're trying to do a plan move like the one we practice and then uh, when we finished like i said okay we didn't get it right. i said bring it in let's call it in let's restart let's get our breath in so I bring in and then B said, can I see something? And B speaks up and he goes, you know, no matter what happens or what decision, what play we should do. If Oscar says the play is this way, then that's the play we're going to do. If it's right or wrong, it's Oscar's call. So you go with what he calls and we'll all write that call. That lifted me up, you know, just for the lip to hear up as I say that, you know, hearing that from the boys and knowing that, you know, the boys have complete trust in me. The Fijian Olympic Association also had total trust in you because they made you the flag bearer for the Fijian team in the opening ceremony. And um, we had some drama there on not having everybody allowed to go to the opening ceremony, but the team ended up going and we had kind of planned it, knowing that we had a day off the following day. And you were the flag bearer. And, and well, that was pretty cool, right? I mean, like, leading the team out. Amazing, Ben, like, to experience something just in front of your telly, opening ceremony, always what's going up, oh, opening ceremony. I mean, and, you know, I said, you see these flashes going around. And then it's like, there's so many people. And, uh, you know, 
walking up. I feel like walking out. It's like I'm shaking a bit and a bit emotional because I just saw flashes. Like, like I'm seeing this in real life. Mm. I was a bit in shock and just shaking and walking. And I said, come on, wave the flag. Just wave the flag. You know, that was a win for the team because for the Fiji first knock, they recognized our achievement as a team, you know, and gave me to be flag bearer. And, you know, to me, it speaks volume of the boys we had in the team and the team we had. That's pretty unique and special because, um, and the underplaying, I think, the value that everybody saw in you as the, as as our leader, you know, that, um, that as you said, that we would all do everything for you as well. Um, and you even got Serena Williams to get a selfie with you. She ran over and... <laughs> I know, right? I could hear some, like, the French girls are like, oh, commotion. I look around and... This woman just walks standing right beside me and like, can we have a photo? I, I said, okay, without realizing it. <laughs> Once I was standing there, when I looked sideways, man, Brad called it Serena Williams. Like, Brad was like, take a photo. Take a photo and she said, thank you. And then as soon as she walked away and I asked the guy that walked fast enough, and I just went, you saw that, right? <laughs> you saw that Serena Williams asked to take a photo with me. <laughs> <laughs> we just burst out laughing, Sebi Kunatani. You know, and Sammy just pushed my head. It's like, ah, oh, whatever. I said, <laughs> asked me and uh, she put it on, on Snap. You know, and I remember uh, my wife, my girlfriend back then, her, she played tennis and her favorite play is Serena Williams. Like she was so mad. She's like, you know, I've always wanted a photo with Serena and you just come in and just have to take a photo with her just like that. <laughs> Looking back at it now, it's amazing. But, you know, when you told us, you, you were trying, I know you know that we didn't, like the boys, we didn't understand the level that we are at. And you were trying to make us understand. And you said, why are you guys trying to take photos with these other athletes? And, when, uh, and you're like, they are number one in their sport. And we said, yes. And uh, you said, you are number one in your sport. Like you guys are the reigning world champions. They are the reigning world champions. And then you guys still want to take photos with them. And, you know, it was hard, kind of hard for us to want to try and understand where that was coming from, you know, uh, especially coming from an island. You know, we don't look at us at, you know, at that kind of perspective, where the perspective you are coming at. Looking back at it now, I was like, man, I see where he was driving. You know, and I look back at even after winning gold, and you're like, Usain Bolt, gold medal. Abhishek Domri like gold medal. Same Kunatani, gold medal. And you're like, you know, you're trying to get us to understand, like, you're on that level. I know you knew that we didn't see it. And I was like, you're on that level, but you guys are still, you know, awestruck. And when you see these guys, and we were just like, oh, we just, we just want to take photos because we see them on ESPN. <laughs> <laughs> but I get, look, it's, it, it's pretty hard not to be kind of thrown by that whole Olympic vibe and the village, right? When you, when you got in there, that, that, must have been, that must have been big. Well, it's certainly big for everyone going into the village. Did you, did you find that difficult before competition? The village is a really crazy place. Just, uh, you know, uh, when you talk about, when you were talking about it, I guess you were preparing us. You were saying, like, there's going to be destruction, boys, I'm telling you, in the village. And you guys better be ready for it. Make sure, and I know you're always reminding us, know what we're there for and just know our goal. And, uh, you know, you're always saying that, you know, I want you guys just to be relaxed and but know what we're there for. And, you know, I was thankful that we stuck to it. You know, the boys understood what we were there for. Like, 
And, you know, we went everywhere together in the village. On those first before the, on the, before the tournament, we were always together. If one goes somewhere to the village, all of us would ride the bus together. All of us, if, oh, are we walking or are we going by bus? If they say, oh, we're walking, and said, okay, we're all walking, you know? You know, village, everything. I always said, everything you need is in the village. Everything is free. And, you know, it was kind of tough for the boys seeing uh, McDonald's was free. And, you know, when we come back from training, you're, you're always saying, oh, boys, it'll come. Don't worry. You know, uh, and even the food is the dining area 24, uh, 24-7. You eat whatever food you want from around the world. You choose or so you want to have barbecue and you get, you know, you want to go get your nails done. It's free. Free kind of thing. I was like, man, it's just something else. <laughs> I remember when we finished, you know, the boys would be waiting around for each other. When we was like, we would just be sitting, the boys would be just sitting there and waiting. It's like, oh, hurry up. We're finished. We'll all get out. I think we were the only team, especially from rugby that does that. We wait for each other. Then we walk in together before the tournament. Because I remember meeting some of the other boys biking around, uh, Australian boys, three or four of them on one side of the village. And uh, yeah, so I guess the phone trip to help. <laughs> Because uh, we didn't have phones and, you know, and we just talked to each other, laugh. Okay, let's go together. So everybody had to wait because we didn't have phones. Go call him. Let's go. Everybody wanted to ask, okay, we're going down the elevator. So we stick together. Um, I remember one of the things, I think in the tournament, it was in between the days where we go and get the, go and jump in the pool in the morning just to wake up and have a stretch. And I'm just, I'm getting, you know, because another, our trainer would, would, would run that. And that was another, you know, thing we made sure that, you know, that they, another had total control and could feel like he was in, he was valued there. But I'd get closer to the swimming pool and just hear all this laughing and, and joking. And, and, and it was on day three, I think, before the semi-final and the final. And there's all these Australian athletes thinking, these, these guys have got Olympic you know they got medal match coming up in a couple of hours and and you just were very very relaxed what was the what was those three days like what was that tournament the olympics like for you i felt like we were prepared for anything then every storm you need to turn before we went to the olympic we had done everything right and when game time comes like i told the boys like i felt like body spirit and mind was one and we were ready. The only time I was worried was against Japan. Semi-final. Not because Japan was uh, playing well. Just because I knew, I you know, how the boys react when they play a, a team that, you know. And I was driving at the boys. I was telling the boys, please don't underestimate Japan. Like, as soon as you get in, I was driving it. In the at night, wake up in the morning before we did pull. I was driving there. I was like, don't underestimate Japan because I know how we think, you know. And you know, after being with us, like when we play teams that we know that we are gonna, uh, we've beaten the most, that our standard drops because the boys just get, oh, it's just this team, and we just get casual, you know. And that's something that I was worried about that we would get casual against Japan and. Japan made it to the semi-final for a reason. Please, look at the boys. Don't underestimate them. And, you know, I was, I was thankful that we won against Japan because I knew the boys were. As soon as we won against Japan, I was like, okay, this is, it's like we made it. As soon as we got rid of our, we went in the final and you remember the boys were just joking around like it was just, you know, uh, not a gold medal match in our change room. Boys dancing, laughing, walking out, smacking each other's bum and just 
our warm up was so relaxed, but on point, you know. I saw that even you know, the boys are just laughing, but their eyes were saying a different story. It's like, yeah, this is gonna happen. And we ran out. They're like, Oscar, why, why did you run out? And you were like, just full of smile. I was like, I don't know. There was a joy deep down inside me that I don't know. It wanted to burst out something. You know, I asked Chas, and Chas said, I had that feeling to just. I said maybe I don't know, just joy inside trying to come out. When we play the national anthem, you know that we always cried. You think about the work we've done, and I think about my family and people watching. But I couldn't cry. I was like, I just wanted to laugh. I don't know why, smiling. But when we played, you know, I was, I was so thankful. And, you know, I still uh, still remember you telling us, you know, right before the tournament happens, and you told us, boys, I don't care if you win a medal or not. All I, care, all I want from you guys is to go out there and show the world the real Fiji rugby and how seven is supposed to be played. I still remember that. We were able to show the world what you asked of us, but in a gold medal match. And aside from rugby, I still remember that we were there the day the 400-meter record was broken by yeah. Wade Benekek. I was there with you at the stadium, you, Nala, and Chris, and me, and the other boys were just still enjoying themselves. And I was so happy that I went with you guys because I got to see Usain Bolt run his last Olympic on yeah. the same night the world 400 meters broken and 100 meters Usain Bolt. And, you know, uh, that memory stands out for me because I'm like, you know, I only watch this him on telly and, you know, I would probably, I would never get to go to another Olympic, but I got to see the 400 meter record, especially, you know, growing up, always running 400 meters, gets messed and then, see Usain Bolt run his last Olympic and win gold if one is just something else. And What's it like now, Oscar, four years, four years, five years on? How are you feeling about all of that now? How do you look back at everything? Looking back, I'm so thankful that I was part of that journey. And, you know, being in an Olympic uh, gold medalist has opened a lot of doors for me. And uh, I definitely want to go back coaching sevens. I've, uh, you know, gained a lot of experience of this with and I was like, you know, it's been part of my life and I enjoy it. Like rugby and, uh, you know, I I hope I get an opportunity to to coach in the, the Olympic again mm. and, uh, you know, uh, maybe do what half of you've done or achieved. I've always spoken to my wife and I said, you know, he set the standard for me. He said, oh, Ben, he coaches his really changed my perspective of a coach. He spread the lessons we learned from you on our journey, on our four-year journey. We didn't even, we don't learn, didn't learn rugby lessons, but just life lessons, you know? It's life lessons and, you know, the standard you walk past is the standard you become. And the, those lessons stuck with me, you know, in my head and plan your work, work your plan. And I was like, you know, I'm like, you know, this is a lot of things that I, learn from my four-year journey in the Olympic it stuck with me and I hope to give that back to the children that are coming up. I coach a little bit here in uh, Santa Rosa. I play touch every afternoon, but I saw the kids, the passing skill is something that needs to improve. And I just said, oh, we'll do skills after if you want to, because I see our pass is not that good. Oscar, that's how it begins. <laughs> that's how it begins. Um, I think... One of the things I think that everyone will, will hear in your voice and your words in the, this this podcast is that you're just so humble. Like, I'm asking you questions and you'll reverse them back to me and not to you. Um, but you have been the most successful Fijian rugby player 
sevens player of all time, our first Olympic gold medal winning captain. And uh, and I think the, the game owes you a lot, Oscar. And, and I really do, I think, a bit like your dad's, you know, had this in your in his head that you would, there is a destiny awaiting for you. I think that's just your first chapter. You know, there's there's many more chapters ahead for you. Thank you, Ben. Big uh, Bakalevu to the listeners. Uh, I hope uh, some things that I've shared will will help you enrich your life and uh, whatever whatever field you're trying to get through. And uh, I hope it helps you out. That humble personality pervades everything Osea does. We use that word way too much as humans with our faults and our egos, but with Osea, he serves as much as he leads. To keep a great relationship with your captain as coach isn't straightforward. It relies on consistency from you and from them. Whatever they bring as a leader, they still need to be in the team on form and not on reputation alone. Osea's form never dipped, and I think it was due to three things. His hard work forged in that crucible of learning his dad began. He continued that and he would always give his all at every session and game. Early on in my time in Fiji, I was really trying to impress on the team that if we ever got knocked out of a cup match, the games for the lower places that followed were still important and counted towards our overall World Series points. The first time that happened after losing a cup semi-final in the game for third and fourth places, Osea wanted to reinforce that with his effort and was all over the field like an advanced rash, so much so that he passed out on my shoulder after the game. His talent was twinned with that and the third element of his continued excellence was that humbleness that was translated into playing to his role and for his team. He never got bigger than that and it was always that that gave him his consistency in all he did, apart from his craving for sweets that is. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. The show notes will have links to anything we chatted about and you can find those at benryan.co.uk forward slash podcast as well as links to all the previous shows from this series and the first on the usual platforms including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Amazon Music and Google Podcasts. And please do reach out to Osea on social media to let him know directly how you enjoyed the show. He's at Osea Colinisau on Twitter and Osea underscore Colinisau on Instagram. This has been the Ben Ryan podcast. Thanks for listening. And I look forward to bringing you another great chat next Wednesday.